Well, take your Bible, open it up with me this morning, if you will, to uh, Genesis chapter 50 as we just continue on the series we are doing, learning from the testimonies of men and women in the Old Testament. And this morning we're going to look at one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, and that's Joseph. I want you to read with me, if you will, from Genesis uh, 50. Joseph's father has died. His brothers think he's going to get revenge on them, but he speaks to them in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about uh, many people should be kept alive as they are today. If Joseph were with us today and he were to give his testimony to us, he would tell us two things about waiting on God. Do you ever have trouble waiting on God? Do you ever pray and pray and the answer doesn't come and you lose heart and give up on well-doing in prayer? Do you ever look at a promise from God and you stand and you build your life on that promise, but there is a long time between the promise that God gives you and the fulfillment that he brings? Do you ever lose patience with God when your circumstances and your situation are adverse instead of times of blessing, they're times of great difficulty. I would say to you that waiting on God, biblically speaking, is absolutely essential if we're going to be strong in the Lord. In fact, Isaiah 40, 31 gives us a sure word of promise. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. If you're going to have that kind of life, rising up with wings of eagles, walking and running without being weary, it's learning to wait on God. Now, as you look at the story from Joseph, there are two things that really Joseph would tell us, two key words in waiting on God. They are the words providence and the word patience. Let's start off with the word providence. Providence is the foundation of faith on waiting on God. Now, providence is, is a word that we don't use a whole lot in our daily va uh, uh, vocabulary, do we? And yet it is a key word to understanding what God is doing in your life. So let me just give you some simple definitions of, of providence. Providence means that God 
is on the throne and he is in control of your life. Now, I want you to think about it. The God who was, is eternally existent, who is self-sufficient, who created everything that there is by the word of his mouth, who created man in his image, to have fellowship with him. The God of all creation is Lord over his creation. There are some who said, well, you know, God is like a watchmaker. He just kind of winds up the watch and sets it in motion, and he sits off, and he's just a distracted observer. I want you to know, that's not what the Bible says, that God created his world. He is involved in his world. Jesus said, there's not a sparrow that falls from the sky that God's not aware of. He knows the number of hair on your head. He is the God who is on his throne and who is in control of the lives of his people. Providence means that God is at work to bring about his will in your life. The great statement of the providence of God in the Bible is, uh, is Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, Romans 8, 28 is not a sigh of resignation. It's not, well, you know, whatever's going to happen, going to happen. No, Romans 8, 28 is the great statement of our faith in a sovereign God who is providentially at work in our life. Now, Romans 8, 28 is a comprehensive statement. For we know that all things work together for good. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> I'm glad it didn't say that everything in our lives is good because there are some bad things that happen in my life. There are some bad things that happen in my life because of some stupid and foolish decisions that I make. There are bad things that happen in my life because of, of evil that others do toward me. There are some bad things that happen in my life just because we live in a world that is reeling from the consequences of sin. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to have bad financial times as financial crises come and on and on. And so there are some bad things that happen in my life. But what Romans 8, 28 says is that God takes all things, the good things and the bad things, and he causes my good and his glory to come out of it. That means that God is involved in the tiniest detail of your life.
That means that you're never just the victim of circumstances. You're just not at the mercy of good luck or anything like that. It means that God intimately, continually is at work in your life and he doesn't waste anything that you face. And do you know the purpose of his providence? You can't say Romans 8.28 without coming to Romans 8.29 and understanding the purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For who he foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. You know what I'm saying? That in his providence, God is at work to grow you in Christ's likeness of life. Now that's the great statement about the providence of God. Joseph and his story in Genesis is the great illustration of the providence of God. The story of Joseph begins in Genesis 37, and God makes a promise to Joseph. He does it two times in two different dreams that the day would come when his father and his brothers would bow down to him. He didn't understand everything that that meant, but he communicated that to his father and to his brothers. And his brothers <coughs> become indignant. In fact, they become jealous of Joseph. Joseph is the favored son of his old father, Jacob. He makes him that coat of many colors. And so his brothers burn with jealousy against him. Here he is simply relating the word of God, communicating the promise of God, and they respond to him with this burning jealousy. And I, I want you to know, jealousy is always the fruit of the flesh. If you're jealous, you're not walking in the Spirit. If you go to Ephesians or Galatians 6 and you have the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh, you'll find that envy is one of the ugly fruits of the flesh. And envy is always demonic and always destructive. Well, the day comes when his brothers are out keeping his father's sheep and, and Jacob are the prince of Israel, sends his youngest son or his second youngest son out to see how the brothers are doing. The brothers see and they think, here comes that dreamer. And here the story of Joseph heads downhill. And they said, let's take and kill him and tell our father that an animal slew him, killed him. Can you imagine that they would do anything like that? That's how horrible jealousy is. 
If it wasn't for Reuben, their oldest brother, they would have killed him. And he said, we can't kill our old brother. So they throw Joseph in the pit. And a a caravan of Midianites are passing by. And they sell Joseph into slavery. Now here is Joseph, one of the princes of Israel. And now he's a slave. Child treated with indignity. The Midianites take him and they sell him to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's generals. And because Joseph is a godly young man, faithful and gifted, it's not long until Potiphar makes him the steward of his whole house. He's over all of the servants. And you think, well, things will get a little bit better but they really don't because Miss Potiphar casts lustful eyes at handsome young Joseph and asks him, come lie with me. What's Joseph's answer? How could I sin against the Lord and do this? It wasn't just sinning against you. It would be sin against the Lord. If you and I keep our identity with Jesus first, it is a protection for us. Uh, when, when I was teaching at the seminary, <coughs> old Dr. Beeman, we were downtown at the time, and, and, and at that time, Poplar and Cleveland was a rough area. It was really a hotbed of, of prostitution. And, and so Dr. Beeman... Our, our Dr. Milliken asked Dr. Beeman to drive him down to a drugstore right there at Cleveland and Poplar. And so Dr. Beeman, old Dr. Beeman, drove him down there, and Dr. Milliken went in, and Dr. Beeman stayed in his car, and a prostitute came up and propositioned him. And, and old Dr. Beeman was taken back, and he said, Ma'am, ma'am, I love Jesus too much. And she said, what about your friend that just went in? You think he'll be interested? He said, ma'am, ma'am, he loves Jesus more than I do. I want you to know our identity, wherever we are, is that we belong to him. And whatever we do, we do unto him. And Joseph, as as Miss Potiphar schemes in her seduction, uh, keeps calling him, and how can I sin against the Lord and finally spurn? She, uh, when he flees, grabs his clothes, cloak and makes a false accusation against him that he was coming on to her. And so he's thrown into prison. Now listen, here he was, the prince of Israel. Here he was, the favorite son. Here he was with the promise of God on his life. And he's been in a pit, and now he's in prison. Couldn't get any worse, could it? Well, there is a baker and a butler. 
from Pharaoh who were in prison with him. And they both have a dream. And they don't know what it means. And so they relate it. And Joseph interprets. And he, he says the, the butler is going to be executed. The baker is going to be saved out of prison. And it happens just as he says. And the baker says, I, I, I'll remember you. But he gets out of prison and he forgets about Joseph. And Joseph just languishes in prison. Do you think Joseph ever wondered what in the world is going on? Why would God allow all of this to happen to me? Can I tell you what it was in the providence of God? Joseph was where he was, not by accident, not by just a series of bad circumstances. He was there in the providence of God. Because Pharaoh has a dream, a, a disturbing dream, and none of his wise men could interpret it. And Pharaoh was getting angry, and suddenly, suddenly, the baker remembers. There was a guy back in prison when I was there and I had a dream, and he told me exactly what it meant, and it came to pass, and Pharaoh sins for Joseph. And Joseph hears the dream and gives the meaning of the dream. There'll be seven years of plenty, and then there'll be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh takes Joseph and elevates him from prison to being the second uh, most important person in all of Egypt, and he is in charge of, of taking of the abundant crop of the seven years and stockpiling and saving so there'll be enough for the seven years of famine. The famine comes, and back in Canaan is Jacob and Joseph's brothers, and they're suffering. And they're facing doom and death because of the famine. And Jacob said, I hear there's food enough in Egypt. He sends his sons. His sons don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes him. And, and through the working of Joseph, it finally ends up with, with Jacob and all of his family moving to Egypt where there's going to be plenty for them. Now, can I tell you something? <coughs> the whole story of Joseph, the bad things as well as the good things, were all about Joseph being at the right place at the right time to save his father's house during the time of famine. But what's more important than that? He was in the right place at the right time to save the human lineage of the Lord Jesus. If Joseph hadn't waited on God, if he didn't believe that God was in control of everything that was happening in his life, 
If he had lost heart, thrown up his hand, walked away, said, I quit, I've done everything right, and everything's gone wrong, if he had done that, there would not have been the salvation of the lineage of Jesus. Do you believe that God knew exactly what he was doing in Joseph's life? I mean, that, that's the meaning of that great statement in the providence of God in, in Genesis 50, where his father has died, his brothers are afraid he's going to get vengeance, and they come to him and they ask for forgiveness, and he says to them in verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not fear. Now listen to what he says. Am I in the place of God? Am I where God wanted me to be? As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to the saving of many people. And can I tell you that means the saving of you and me if you've trusted Jesus? And so you look at providence and God is in control. He's not worried about our comfort. He's worried about our character. He's not worried about our wants. He's worried about our, he's committed to his will. Can you trust God with the details of your life? How many of you have ever had anything happen to you that you didn't understand? What do you do? Janet and I, years ago, came up with a plan. And, uh, and that is that uh, we were going to work uh, when we retired to be able to buy house cash. So we bought houses to sell. I mean, I didn't build houses because we liked them. We bought them because we thought they'd sell and we'd make money. And so over the years, we did that. And we were right at our goal. And we moved to California to teach at California Baptist University. And it was the last house that we needed to make a profit on to get to the place where we would reach our goal. And we bought a house, and within six months, it was worth $80,000 more than we'd paid for it. And I thought, wow. And then 2008 hit. And the houses, the price of houses everywhere went down in California. They went this way. I mean, way this way. And suddenly everything that we had done, everything would work for all of our lives was gone. Just gone. And I'm no different than you. I, I just had a little pity party. God, we've done everything you've said. I don't understand this. And I can't tell you everything that, that, that's involved in it now, but can I tell you what the Lord's taught us? It's a whole lot better to trust him who can take a little 
and make it a lot than to be in the place where you have a lot and you're independent of him and he makes it a little. It's a whole lot better to walk by faith. You ever have anything like that happen in your life? Sure you have. All of us do. What do you do? Throw up your hands? Walk away? Or do you believe? Do you believe that he is on the throne? That he is in control? And he is committed to working out your good, his glory, through his will in your life? That's understanding providence. That's the foundation of faith. Now the second thing that Joseph would tell us, if you believe in providence as the foundation of faith, then patience is going to be the expression of true faith in waiting on God. I mean, you look at Joseph, and from the promise to the fulfillment is a lot of years. It's a long time. A lot of circumstances in between. So Joseph just remained full of faith and faithfulness to the God who had given the promise. Patience. You ever pray for patience? A lot of us pray, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. <laughs> Can you patiently wait upon the Lord in your own life, in your church? You're looking for a pastor. Can you patiently wait till God brings his man? Can you patiently wait on the promise that God has given to you. Can I just give you <coughs> four things that really will help you develop patience? Number one, pray with expectancy. When you pray, pray by faith, pray believing that God is going to answer, but don't be surprised by unexpected answers. Be prepared for them. I hope that you read and that you read Christian biographies that encourage and instruct. One, one of those that, that I read years ago was George Mueller of Bristol. George Mueller lived in early 19th century England and he ran an orphanage by faith. He never did any fundraising. He never asked anyone for anything. He just every day prayed for the next day's supply for that orphanage. And the testimony of his life is that he ran an orphanage for years and years and years simply by prayer. It's, you read it, it's amazing. He prayed, Lord, we need milk. And the next day, 
without him telling anyone. Here comes a guy from the farm carrying all kinds of, of milk and just donating it. And it's over and over and over. In his old age, someone asked George Mueller if he had ever prayed a prayer that God didn't answer. His reply was, I have two prayers that God hasn't answered yet. And he talked about two men that he'd been praying for every day for two years for their salvation. And he said, they haven't been saved yet, but they will. Do you know that one of them was saved the day that George Mueller died? And the other one was saved on the day that George Mueller was buried? Do you have that kind of perseverance in prayer? When the answer doesn't come quickly? Are you praying for a child? In rebellion? stay on your knees and you cry that they would just walk with the Lord. The years pass and there's no tenderness to the Lord and you just keep praying and you realize God's going to answer it. You may not live to see it, but God's going to answer it. You pray with expectancy, but be prepared for unexpected answers from the Lord. Two, take time daily to be still and know that he's God. I'll just give you my personal testimony. When I don't do that, and circumstances get bad, I get frantic, and I worry, and I fret. But when I take time and see that God is greater than any difficulties I have, and I flee back over to Jeremiah 27 where Jeremiah is given a daunting task and he comes before the Lord and he says, Ah, Lord God, you're creator of heaven and earth. There is nothing, no, nothing at all too hard for you. And then God answers him and he says, I am the Lord of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And where he says, is anything too difficult? He just draws a blank. He says, fill it in with whatever you're facing. Is it too hard for me? I want you to know when your focus is on the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God, the strongness of God, the goodness of God, the wisdom of God. When you look, take time to be still and know that he's God, you live by faith instead of being frantic. Three, remember when you get impatient waiting on God and you try to take things over, things get in a mess quickly. 
Now, I'll just give you two Proverbs. Proverbs 19.21 says that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that stands forever. You and I can plot and scheme. They <laughs> just kind of flitter, but what God does is going to happen. The other one is Proverbs 14, 12. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is destruction. When you take things out of God's hand and try to solve them yourself, things go south quick. And then the fourth thing I would say to you, we sang about it just a while ago. Keep your focus on the cross. Because the cross is the testimony of God taking the very worst and causing the best to come out of it. The worst that man and Satan can do in that cruel, brutal death of Jesus, God the Father worked through to judge the, our sins in the body of his dear Son. And his death becomes our atonement. And he rose from the grave. You look to the cross and you see there's not anything that God can't cause good to come out of. And then there is the assurance of Romans 8. 31, 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, listen to the assurance of verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. If God would so love you that he would send his son, eternal son, to die in your place, if God would not spare him but would judge your sin and give you salvation, he would do that. You think he's going to let go of you? You think he's just going to say, well, you know, whatever happens in your life happens in your life? Or do you think he graciously is going to give you all things and cause all things to work together for your good and his glory? as he grows you in Christ's likeness of life. Joseph says you can trust him. You can wait on him. 
You can say, God, I, I know you're going to do it. I just don't know when you're going to do it or how you're going to do it. I just know the promise of your word. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Got to tell you what all of this says. Says don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on God doing something in the lives of a child. Don't give up on what God's going to do in this city through this church. Don't give up is what he's saying. That's what providence says means that you just believe God, period. Now, there's some that are here, and providence didn't work in your life because you have never trusted Jesus. And today's the day you need to come to know him, have a new start, <laughs> new life, know God's gracious love and care for you. 